We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website. It's Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old shows as well. Ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to see you morning, all. Good morning, Scott. All right. We're talking about Post-grad financial checklist. Well. Is this post-debt or pre-debt? <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Good point. This is like, I can't believe I'm in debt. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, really. How do I get out? <laughs> I know. And, you know, and so many, it's funny just in talking with um, clients and mm. friends, etc., about how many of their children are just at the point now of graduating. Proms have been happening. Yeah. Uh, the Wasega Beach prom getaways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <clears throat> everything else that's going on and uh you seem quite familiar with this yeah. your kids at that age uh, well no they're we're done but uh okay. you know he still has the scars we, we, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we're not far from uh from the high school so seeing the parade of kids oh, going yeah. by and limos and yeah. buses and yeah. everything else and then of course the stories that happen afterwards which yeah. we, which are always fun and it's it's uh you know so now at this point the kids are heading off to university and then the next phase which is the graduation mm-hmm. and uh uh, once you've and and that part's happening too to lots of friends and uh, and I'm sure many listeners are experiencing that whether it's their own kids or even yeah. grandkids that are graduating now from university or uh, with their degree and from a financial standpoint you know as a new grad what should you be thinking about and what are some of the issues that you're facing as well and of mm-hmm. course debt we know is one of them yeah. and so managing that student loan we sort of got I've got a five step process just to talk about in terms of some of the things you should you should be considering just to get yourself set on a, a, a good financial plan into your new life your mm-hmm. real life and managing your student loan is is probably the first key and so many students today graduating with debt and yeah. and how to then deal with it so the first thing is after for the first six months after your graduation, you don't have to make any payments. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. Mm-hmm. And for most kids, you know, so April 30th was the last day of uh, school, and now we're into May, June, July, August, September, October. So break, around November is when you're going to have to start paying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you do not have to make payments, but the interest still accrues. The interest yeah. is still being calculated and added to the loan. And basically, you'll have to find out what your payment's going to be and include that in your budget. And you have to make at least a minimum payment each and every month. And if you're unable to make a payment because maybe you don't have a job yet or your your six months have gone by and Mm. you're still... In, you're still struggling to make a payment, make sure you contact your loan provider right away. Let them know the situation and try and work something out for either extending it or renegotiating it. In other words, don't let it go. Don't let it go, for yeah. sure. Stay on top of it. Now, one of the things that uh, that is a fantastic opportunity is the Canada student under, for the Canada Student Loan Program is the Repayment Assistance Plan. And the Repayment Assistance Plan is basically the opportunity to uh, have the government help you pay back your loan. Mm -hmm. And so it's called the Repayment Assistance Plan, and you can Google that and you can find out the details. There's even an estimator on that in that uh, information, which you plug in, you know, am I single? When did I graduate? How much do I owe? Is it federal? Is it provincial? What is the interest rate that I had uh, set it to be paid at? Uh, And what is my income? 
And so if your income is under $25,000, so a little over two grand a month, um, then you can make zero payments. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to pay anything and the government will pay that loan for you Mm -hmm. for up to 60 months. So, but it's six month periods and there's basically five, six months, sorry, 10, six month periods where they're going to review it. So every six months, you can lock into the program where they will pay or subsidize your payment, and then it's up for renewal or review again every six months. And in theory, if your income stayed below 25000 for the first five years after graduation, then the government would be making that payment for you on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. for the first five years. And then you would have to take it over. Right. So you are reducing, they are reducing the, uh, the principal every month as well. It's not, they're not just paying the interest. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's the regular payment. Yeah. So I just ran through the estimator. I said, if you had 20 grand, if you were making um, 36,000 and you were a single student uh, and you had, tw- so you're three grand a month, you've got uh, 20 grand of debt that, uh, to owe on a student, uh, Canada student loan, you would get $210 from the program and the payment would be required would be 222. So you'd only have to come up with 12 bucks yeah. out of your own pocket. Yeah. So it's important that students, I know, I know the information is out there, but just to be aware of it and just ask your kids, ask your yeah. graduates, you know, have you checked into the student repayment, the repayment assistance plan, Google it. You'll find out for sure. There may be an opportunity for you there. Mm. Um, number two, Saving for tomorrow. And uh, I guess when I think about looking back over the years of doing this, and Don and I are both 30 years plus into this, probably the number one distinguishing factor between individuals and people that have been successful in their financial life is their capacity to save. Mm-hmm. And the discipline around their saving is so critical and creating this habit. Sometimes as a student, you know, even though you're graduated, you know, you've come through, you've, you've learned to live on a small amount of yeah, money. Yeah. And I used to always joke, I say, boy, if I could just still live on the same, mm. same level of income that I needed when I was a student and mm. I could save everything oh, else, yeah. I could have retired you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It wasn't a high standard of living to know that. But um, so saving for tomorrow and creating that that habit is so crucial. Um, One simple thing is to start a pack, a pre-authorized contribution. As soon as that first job and that first paycheck gets set, maybe take the first paycheck, spend it, enjoy it, do something fun with it, but then start a regular contribution. And an RSP is still a good place to start. I like an RSP because it's long-term, it, it's it's always about retirement. Uh, there is some flexibility. P- students can still use that to help them buy a house, mm-hmm. first-time home buyer. Yeah. But starting 50 bucks a month or 50 mm-hmm. bucks a pay, and then the next thing may happen is that you actually have an opportunity to enroll in an employment, an employee-sponsored yeah. uh, R- group RSP plan, in which case they may match it after, th- after your first uh, three months or after your first six months, you get mm-hmm. to enroll in that. Make sure you top on and add on to that for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I see your logic, Andy, in terms of using an RSP um, as a saving vehicle versus a tax-free savings account. Now, these people... Well, that's not my number three, is this, they are the TFSA, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just that it's uh, the RSP. It, it, they may not be in the highest tax bracket, mm-hmm. but it's sticky. Yeah. It, people keep going. People will keep adding to it yeah, because yeah. they know they have mm-hmm. to pay tax on if they pull it out, except mm-hmm. for if they use it for first-time home buyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus a TFSA, I find... And I don't know if you've seen the same where people use it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to save here. And even if 
they really were going to put it into an RSP later when they're in a higher tax bracket. Yeah. It seems to be more liquid and it doesn't seem to quite yeah. get there often. Well, I'm and the, the thing about the RSP is that, yes, you can put the money into it. You don't actually have to take the deduction. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you're building up the contribution. Your money is growing tax-sheltered. And, uh, and then at some point in the future, if you've put in you know, $1,000, if you put in $5,000, you can defer mm-hmm. taking that as a deduction until such time as your income is high enough. Mm. So, Great idea. Um, yeah. Got to make sure the tax preparer knows that. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. What was that they said? I don't know. Anyway, here's my receipts. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if, if I was a student and I graduated in, in April, I got my first job in May and I'm making three grand a month, well, I'm only going to make, you know, 20 grand over the next, uh, yeah. for the rest of the year with my tuition credits and everything else, I'm not going to pay any tax. So I don't need an RRSP to save tax. Mm-hmm. The purpose of the RSP is creating the habit, yeah. thinking long-term, this is money I'm not going to touch. Yeah. And this, I can use that d- deduction later on in my life. Once my, once I'm making a hundred grand yeah. or, you know, I'm not yeah. just using it as a, as a scenario. And, um, so the RSP I think is a, is a, is a great way just to build that savings habit. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, the TFSA, and I'm, I think, you know, Don, you and I should take credit for this because I've, <laughs> see, I've seen in the media more and more now how uh, financial observers or financial commentators are saying the name isn't a good name. It, it, mm. it infers a savings account, which for most people means it's a rainy day account. Yeah. As soon as I need money or I'm pinched or I don't, I'm, I'm running low, I'm going to go to my savings account to top up my regular spending yeah. or, my, or my needs. Well, we've always said it should be a tax-free investment account mm-hmm. because really what we're trying to do is create another mindset around an investment strategy that makes sense. It could be short-term. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. But... That also, it also may be important that it's a long-term strategy as well. Yes, and I, you know, we've talked about just the name. It's funny how if you attach a name to it, if they called it an investment account rather than a savings account, there's less chance. Oh, okay, I'm gonna, I won't touch that for a while. Yeah. Just like it's funny with RSPs, it's called retirement yeah. savings plan. That's right. People think, oh, I got to keep for that retirement. for retirement. Yeah, well, now we're actually trying to get people to say, well, you know, you've been unemployed, you're in a low tax bracket. You should actually pull that, some of that money out when you're in a low bracket because right. it could be tax-free. So if they change it to a deferred income investment plan, hmm. then <laughs> that would change the thinking behind that. But yeah. it's funny how we attach names to it. And, I, and it was just last week somebody mentioned the same thing about the TFSA. Oh, they don't pay much. Well, actually, in any knife's right from get the Depends get-go. what's in it. Yeah, exactly. You can put <laughs> yeah. anything you want in it. But the savings account has thrown so many people off rather yeah. than an investment account. And I do think we should have trademarked that early. We I know. know. That's right. Well, yeah. I tell you, there's lots of commentators <laughs> jumping on it, you know, because yeah. it's redirecting people. We could call it a tax-free retirement account. Ooh, mm-hmm. wow. Let's start now. That we're now. really seriously yeah, setting a mindset yeah, around really. what it's supposed to be for. Um, so being smart with your TFSA, obviously, that's a great place to also build your savings habit. And you can certainly have a TFSA, which is earmarked for short-term goals, saving for that first car, saving for, you know, first and last rent. You know, there's all kinds of things that we need in the short term as a student and a graduate. Um, number four is avoid high credit card debt. And credit cards... 
man, it's it's almost like they give you they want to give you a card Absolutely. as a graduate, right? Yeah, yeah. Sign up. Almost yeah. like we'll a drug dealer. You, yeah. no, no charge. Yeah, <laughs> and the first gra- one's on me. They're handing them out. I remember graduating and not even having a job and getting a, yes. a application for an American Express card. Oh, absolutely. And I, oh, got, yeah. and I got it just because I could. Yes. And then I thought, well, what the hell's the advantage of this? Here, try this card. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. it's not much different yeah. from a, a drug dealer. And here's your first credit card. Try yeah. it. It's yeah. free. Yeah. And, and the issue around this is you really, it's critical that you're building a, a strong credit um, rating. Uh, credit yeah. rating. Yes. And, and if, you, if you have a credit card and you don't pay it off, yeah. or you just even, or you let it slide, uh, you're immediately putting a black mark onto your um, onto your credit rating, and so the, the number five would be develop a budget. And really, a budget again comes down to creating that savings discipline. But understanding where your money is going is so critical, mm. and tracking your expenses so that you understand where where are the weak points and where are the areas that I have discretion that I can adjust this. So those are the five points: post grad financial checklist. Give us, give us a call if you need any more information for your grad. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. As well, you can also check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, we're talking about the greatest risk to your investments. Yes. And if you had to think, you know, when, you, when people talk about risk, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Losing your money. Right. Absolutely. First thing. Everybody says, I don't want to lose my money. And that is so like, I, that's right in our DNA, mm-hmm. which is also why we're not great investors as mm. human beings in general. But we'll get to that in a second. So cap- that's called capital risk. The volatility of your money, uh, watching go up and down. And we, it's reported daily in the stock market. Actually, it's reported if you want it, sec by the second yeah. if you really want it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is a risk. And, and we'll talk about the capital risk. The second risk is uh, what we're finding out right now, with uh, certainly with the tax rates um, going up over the last number of years, is taxation risk. Mm-hmm. So if you make over 220000 or if your state of all your belongings was worth over 220000 it may be subject to 53.5% mm-hmm. tax, but that's still not the biggest risk. Then what about inflation? That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and that's actually correlated to the biggest risk, and I'll get to that biggest risk because there's one more risk before that, and that's interest rate risk. Because mm-hmm. right now we saw, we, we've been watching interest rates rise. Mm-hmm. Well, if you locked your money in a five-year GIC uh, back in the fall, you might have got one, 1.2%. Now you might be getting able to get 2.2% mm-hmm. for five years. And so now you're thinking, oh, boy, I shouldn't have locked it up for so long because you know, I could have got a better one now. And that's interest rate risk. And actually, if, in, if interest rates rise, bonds go down. But finally, the real risk, and it's probably the least understood risk because it changes every year, is longevity risk. Hmm. That's the one. And that's tied in with inflation. Okay. Do people think about that? Because my guess is they all think they're going to die young. Ah, uh, great, great yeah. point. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. Um, 
it, people often think that they're not going to live as long. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. You'll be talking to, say, a couple in their 60s, and they will just off the top say, yeah, my 87-year-old mother, she's doing great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, she's, uh, she's been on her own for a while now, but she, yeah, she's very mobile. But when you ask if they th- about their own yeah. longevity, they don't even think they'll make 87. Yeah. Okay. They almost think she's an aberration mm-hmm. and that they won't get there. We've got a plan for my demise well earlier than that. That is definitely counterintuitive. It mm-hmm. does not work that way. And it has been increasing. And the, even more so is joint life expectancy is not intuitive. People often think, well, I'll live to, you know, say 75. And the, and the, and the spouse may think, well, I'll live to 85. But they don't think which of the two will live longer, which... It's funny, when a married couple, one will live quite often uh, quite a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And that's the one you got to plan for. Yeah. You're not planning for the one that dies a lot yeah. earlier. Yeah. But it's funny, when you start talking about longevity, immediately you get selfish. You think about yourself, mm-hmm. not as the surviving person. Mm-hmm. So, And it has been rising a lot so faster. So you may die early, but your spouse may live forever. Yes. And so you got to plan for, uh, and, and, and you know if you do visit... Mm-hmm. Say the nursing homes, you do notice that about oh, at least ninety percent are women. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you got a plan for her life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a person born in nineteen oh nine, nineteen oh nine—that's only like just over a hundred, you know, hundred mm-hmm. years ago, basically. Its life expectancy was forty-seven years old. Wow, that great grand. We'd all be dead. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I would. I what, what what retirement? Yeah, exactly. You go full out to eighty-seven and yeah. dig a hole. So. Yeah. Now the great grandson or daughter of that person born in 2002, their their uh, life expectancy would be 78. Mm-hmm. Actually, in this case, it's grandson because the great granddaughter would actually be over 80. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you start speaking to people in their 60s, they they don't get about the joint life uh, the joint life expectancy, and it's funny how far we've gone. Like you think about say the flu. And that was a, a worldwide epidemic at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we get flu shots now. You mm-hmm. don't think twice about it, or you take some antibiotic. Um, tuberculosis, yeah. um, it's, and polio, et cetera. All these ones that have been kind of nipped in the butt, so to speak, they were, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know how it's long you were going to yeah. go. Yeah. We won't talk about the Black Plague. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah. you go. Yeah. Very <laughs> common. And now it's like, wow, that person uh, died of something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that, that's it's total aberration now. It's as opposed to the norm. And... That's what's, you know, and, and we're getting better at this. And that's extending people's lives. And there's more and more, even though we don't, it's so slow. The next big, um, you know, um, way of, of keeping a person alive, it, it's, it, they talk about it. And then mm-hmm. finally it gets enacted maybe 10, 20 years later. But basically every year a new baby lives, is born, the, that new baby is getting three months longer life. Yeah. And if every decade, it works out to about two and a half years longer. And it has been generally a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not declining at all. It's yeah. been straight line at about a 45 degree angle all that time. And it's still rising. And it's, so it's very common, like I said, to have a couple, you're, you're looking at, say, retiring at 60. And the second death is at 95. Mm. Wow. That's 35 years they're yeah. retired. Yeah. And they may have only, they might have started at 25. Mm-hmm. So they, they worked for 35 years, mm-hmm. and they retired for 35 years. Now yeah, it's the, yeah. twice the time. And you've got to plan for that, and that's very difficult. So it actually works out, going back to inflation, prices almost triple in those 35 years at today's inflation rates. And so you start thinking, well, what's safe then? Well, what kind of investments? Well, the capital risk is not what you should be looking at. In fact, safety is risky. 
the safer you go, what you, we often think is safe, would be bonds. Mm-hmm. And bonds, on average, generally just do slightly better than inflation. And equities, which is owning shares of big companies, Bell Canada, Apple Computer, BMW, whatever it might be, those are equities, and the return on those have been far greater over the long term than bonds. Mm-hmm. And quite interesting is, well, if that's the case, isn't it risky to have bonds? Because if I'm going to live 35 years, yeah. I need a greater return. Mm-hmm. And it's not about the ups and downs of the stock market, because that's just daily, yearly stuff. It's the big picture is what you got to look at. And we have this big chart called the big picture. We get it every year. It's kind of interesting. They've got this chart now and basically describe it. Like it's a chart from 1935 to 2017, so an 82-year span. It's gone through World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, the Cold War, Iraq, and um, Gulf War. It's, it's got through lots of stuff here. There's been 10 bear markets. And a bear market, basically, and when the, when the stock market has dropped by more than 20%. Mm-hmm. And a bull market is when it has reached, um, after that market has recovered the 20%, it carries on. And, and that will go on until it starts to drop again. There will be little dips here and there, which we hear every day. But it doesn't mean it's a bear market until it actually falls 20%. Mm-hmm. The average of those bear markets was a 32.6% decline. Wow. Yeah. So if you had a $100,000, you've just lost a third of that money mm-hmm. in, that, in a bear market. And it lasts, on average, 13.4 months. So just a little over a year. And we have had, in, since 1935, in those last 82 years, 13 recessions. So you look at... That and he said, well, if you had a hundred one thousand dollars in nineteen thirty-five, what would that be worth today, just on inflation? So if I could buy, I uh, let's say in nineteen thirty-five, what could you buy? Let's say you could buy a car mm-hmm. for a thousand dollars. Yeah, probably. Okay. Now, it's eighteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars is what inflation is. So you would need to have eighteen thousand dollars for the same buying power mm-hmm. as a thousand dollars in nineteen thirty-five. Inflation has averaged 3.6% over those 82 years. So we've had a lot of low inflation lately. It's been running around two, even two, one and a half, and we kind of get lulled in the sense of security. Yeah. Inflation is not gonna, isn't an issue. But the average of 82 years has been 3.6. So it could come back. Um, the rate of return, if you had invested $1,000 and you put it in long-term government bonds, it would be worth right now $135,000. Okay. Well, certainly a lot better than the 18000 yeah. It's a pretty good investment. It's averaged 6.1% return. So I looked at that and says, well, okay, well, how much risk do bonds have? And they rate risk based on volatility. Okay. And the risk of a pure government bond portfolio, guaranteed, but bonds do go up and down with um, interest rates, the risk is 72 Okay, 7.2%. And that just shows the volatility. If you created a portfolio with... A low number is lower risk, high number would be higher risk. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, a pure stock, a pure equity uh, U.S. stock portfolio would have been around, oh, what's that work? 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a conservative portfolio. And if you took 70% and put it in bonds, but then you threw stocks in it, immediately people think, well, that would add risk because you're adding things yeah. with a 20% risk to it. Mm-hmm. But their heartbeat line, if you will, is different than the bond line. Mm-hmm. 
So when one's going down, the other one could be going up. And so there's an evening out between them. And so if you added 14% Canadian stocks, 6% U.S. stocks, 10% international stocks, and then you added that to the 70% bonds, so you end up with what you have, 70% bonds, 30% stocks, your risk is identical, 7.2%. Mm. So you've added no risk at all. Same risk as 100% bonds, but now your rate of return jumps from 6.1 to 7.5. Big deal. Okay, what's well, another 1.4% uh, return? Well, I know this is over 82 years, but that $1,000 would now grow to $415,000 mm. versus pure bonds at 135000 Huge difference. Same risk. And so when you're looking at longevity, you think, well, being too safe is actually risky. Bonds are actually risky yeah. because you will run out of money. Mm-hmm. You, you will not perform very well about after inflation. Not to mention bonds. The taxation on, on bonds is 100% interest. And if it's in your non-registered, you're paying tax on that every mm-hmm. year, which isn't even into my calculation here. Now, it's interesting. I know Andy was saying he was uh, looking through a safe not long ago and found a gold bar. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in 1965, gold was $35 an ounce. Mm-hmm. Okay. By 1980, it had jumped to $615. Pretty darn good. Ooh, so, now I want it. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Buy now. It was great. <laughs> and had you bought it in 1965 and held it till now, so basically our life, yeah. I'm right. born in 63, you would have got a 7% per year return. Mm-hmm. Pretty darn good. It's actually, it's actually close to the stock, Canadian stock market at that time would have done about nine and a half. So pretty close to the stock market. However, in 1985, that $615 gold coin or gold bar would be worth $317. It almost went in half. Yeah. yeah. By 1990, it went up to $384. By ni- 2000, uh, 1995, 384 By 2000, it was actually worth $279. By 2005, 415 it never got back to your original $615 an ounce until close to 2000, somewhere around 2007. 17 years. Seven, uh, yeah. Um, 20, 27 oh, sorry, 27 years. 27 sorry. years. You had a zero percent return and got no dividends. Mm. And there's this all this talk about gold and it's a very safe haven. Well, it's only isn't it usually when times are unpredictable that people go towards gold? Mm-hmm. Good point. And that's what happened. in 1980 was a recession. Yeah. Yeah. Interest rates were skyrocketing. People were selling their houses because they couldn't afford the mortgage payment, and gold was shooting up. Yeah. Had you have bought it in 1980 and held it till now, so that's 27 years later you end up with a 1.94% return. So at all, it's so much timing. It's, but it's safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't even beat inflation. I guess it's not, though, is it? Yeah, it is not safe. In case yeah. of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got something to convert to food. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, then, and then you go, we say, well, you know what? That's why I didn't buy gold anyway. I bought houses. Houses is the way to go. Yeah. In 1945, the index for houses was, and let's call this a, an index rather than a, a share, was uh, 100. And by 2017, it was 1652. Mm-hmm. It actually worked out to a return of 3.97%. Well, inflation was 3.6 in that time. You actually outperformed inflation by 0.37% over all that time. Mm-hmm. Owning a house, that does not include paying property taxes, yeah, any repairs, anything. 
the GTA is totally different. And in the and certainly, like even Canada as a whole, the average return on housing has been 3.39% for the last 17 years, which is, you know, it sounds not terrible. And again, not including any extra costs, but the GTA has been totally different. Vancouver's been different. Yeah, yeah. But we, we are in our own little bubble here, and quite often we think about this. So then let's go to, let's go to an aggressive portfolio. Right away, risk. This is capital risk. This thing's going to go up and down like crazy. Well, we're going to go with a 40% in Canadian stocks, 25% in U.S. stocks, um, 25% in international, 10% in U.S. small cap. The lowest risk was seven, is 17.9 for Canada. Um, international was 21. So U.S. small cap is over 22%. So on the risk scale, bonds was a 7.2 risk. And you say, okay, well, that's going to be risky. Well, by owning a portfolio of all of them, the risk actually drops from about 20% to about 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. You don't average risk. Yeah. Because they all have different ways, they, again, the heartbeat line of each one is different. And so the average is uh, done very well. And your return, had you have been in an aggressive portfolio, that $1,000 in 1935 would have grown to $4.5 million. Okay. Versus bonds at 135000 You could literally have thrown the 135000 off your portfolio yeah. and you're still great. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're saying basically is you have to match the goal with the money. If it is for a return for the rest of your life and you need a return for the rest of your life, do not be too safe. That is actually being risky because you will run out of money. Mm-hmm. What you need is a very good diversified portfolio that is leaning towards equities because that is the best inflation hedge and even more important, it's the best longevity hedge. Balance the key word. You got it. Uh, We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message. They will return your call. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And if you'd like to hear old shows or ask a question via the Internet, check out their site at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Or you can call and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. A lesson on how to spend your money. How to spend more. This is perfect. I like this. It is a constant battle to try and get people to spend more money. And and as I had a conversation... After they've saved it all. After they've saved it, exactly. Mm -hmm. After they've saved it all. Mm -hmm. You're right. So I'm I'm met with clients that are already retired. They're in their late 60s now. Right. And and I'll just give you a quick background on their current financial situation. So they own their home. It's worth about 400,000, no debts. And they have 1.3 million in investments. Mm. That 1.3 million is divided into three pots or three silos. Uh, 700,000 is a RIF, so they're getting income from that. 450,000 is a non-registered investment, and 150,000 is a TFSA. And as I said, no debts. Their income per year is about 80,000. So that's coming from Canada Pension Plan, Old Age Security, a pension payment, a RIF, and a withdrawal, regular withdrawal from part of their investments. And they spend about 60,000 a year. And 
So, and with income splitting, we reviewed their income tax. They just got it back and they each basically come in around 40 grand of income being able to split their pensions. So fantastic. They're both in the lowest tax bracket in Ontario, 20%. And you remember the whole strategy around an RRSP when they were putting money into this plan was you want to put money into an RSP when you're in a high tax bracket and you want to take it out when you're in a low tax bracket. But what's the risk? And the risk is that if one of them dies, now instead of being able to split that 80000 40 each and be in the lowest tax bracket, they've got one of them now earning eighty. Right. They've jumped into a almost 35-40% tax bracket. Old age security clawbacks are starting to kick in. And then finally, in terms of the, the de- at death, there's the little tax, probate, and then the big tax. Mm-hmm. And that is the final income tax owing on all of that RIF money, 700000 right now probably in the neighborhood of three hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of tax. So the goal, what we did is we looked at their the future going forward and in fact at the rate that they're withdrawing money from their investments, their capital is continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. So this problem is Great. not going away. Yeah. It's it's in fact it's improving. So I said, is it your is it important to you to leave a large estate? And particularly after tax. Well, not so much. They both had received inheritances, which helped them to get to where they are today. And they would like to be able to help out their boys. Two boys, one good, one bad. <laughs> Here's the problem. One, the average family. <laughs> the average family. It all, it's hot and cold. Uh, one son is in the process of getting ready to buy a house. The other son is nowhere near right. he money and not never steady job mm. girlfriend has come and gone there's a there's a a son mm. uh, a child from uh, one uh, relationship uh money that went to that went to would go to him would just disappear yeah. and they know it so but they want to treat them equally so they say how do we help them you know what are the goals because i'm looking at this and i'm thinking mm-hmm. you've got way too much money you're Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, you're just going to leave a larger pile at the yeah. end and the risk is paying a lot more tax. Mm-hmm. And so we did start before we got to the boys and we explored that. We did talk about what would you else would you like to do? Is there, is there a special travel, special trip? No, well, we're happy with it. What about a car or a vehicle? Is there anything you've thought about that would be a kind of a dream car? Nope, nope. We just like sensible car. We spent, we yeah. spent 25 grand on a car whenever yeah. we need one. And, uh, what about any renovations? Well, and I was at their home beautifully all done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything is done. Yeah. And obviously retirement, they spend a lot of time maintaining the gardens and yeah. looking after the property because it was in fantastic shape. The only thing that they sort of came to was they had a friend who had bought an Airstream trailer and a beautiful Mercedes SUV to pull it. Wow. And they were quite impressed nice. with all that whole rig and, yeah. and the fact their lifestyle right now in terms of traveling around. That'll eat some of it up. That could eat some <laughs> of it up. But you know what? They, they said we, we couldn't. We wouldn't pull the trigger on it because we would just think it was uh, too much and a waste. But we would like to help the boys buy a house. And and so what we thought is, what if we matched what they could save? And we started exploring that that idea. And actually, we started, now they started to get a little more excited about how to spend their money, which was really about gifting it today rather than later. And um, so... I thought, how do we treat the one boy equally? And the, and the same opportunity exists if they can position it properly. They can say to both boys, listen, we are going to help you with a down payment. 
but we are only going to help you to the extent that we're going to match what you have saved towards this down payment. Mm. So if you've saved 20 grand, we'll kick in 20. If you save 10, we'll kick in 10. If you can save 100, we'll kick in 100. You know, there might be a limit, but yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that later. And they thought, but now we're going to, I know we're going to be helping one, but we're not going to be helping the other. And I said, well, how much more incentive can the second boy have who's having financial trouble than to see that his one brother is moving forward, getting, advancing his financial life and, and, and security, and obviously receiving the benefit of this additional gift because of the down payment on the home. And I think, you know what, that might help change his attitude. And, and I've, I've had both boys as clients and I know what they're like. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm hoping to, with some counseling from us at our end, that we'll be able to help motivate the yeah. second one, yeah. the, the bad sheep, <laughs> to, get, yeah. to get back on track I'm and sure be motivated. Nice yeah. Because he doesn't know about this yet, right? right. So we're just exploring this strategy right now. But again, it comes back, and we talked about this a show a couple of weeks ago, about how, how to spend more money and how to mm. free yourself up to be able to spend it and not feel guilty. And the problem is all of us spend our lives learning how to save if we've done well financially, we've done it because we've watched our money, we've been careful with our money, and those habits don't change. And we're not really just going to spend it for the sake of spending it. But if we can latch on to a goal or something that's exciting and gets us motivated, I think that helps free us up to be able to spend some money. So we'll report back, maybe not for maybe not till the fall. Yeah. We'll see if we have some more information on how best to uh, deal with the good sheep and the bad sheep. <laughs> That'll be an interesting story to follow. Uh, we are planning our financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, the topic this segment is the myth of the bulletproof withdrawal. Yes, and we're talking about the withdrawal rate from your investments. Oh. And... And everybody is always saying, well, what can I take out of my investments? And and there's kind of this uh, thinking behind this that 4% is the golden rule. I've heard so much over the years that it's been five, mm. and, and it changes all the time. In three and a half to 4% rate, it depends on your mix of investments. But all this is about is, is about the sequence of returns. Yeah. Because if mm. you retired... And all of a sudden, we went right into a bear market, a down market. And it lasted for the first two years, and you're down 30% on your investments, and you're pulling out money. Yeah. You are doing everything wrong. Unfortunately, you have no choice. You're no longer working. So those people that retired, say, um, late um, 2007, and all of a sudden, they hit the big recession of 2008, 2009. Their portfolio drops by 35%. Yeah. And they are saying, what did we do? Now the ones that retired in two thousand and nine, they're laughing. Yeah, they already they're you're, they're buying they're they're fine because the market went up after that point in time. So what there's there's some things you can look at doing, and this kind of makes it there's first of all the reason is a myth. There is no perfect way to make sure that you will always be safe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anybody that tells you any advisor says this always works is definitely not the case. First of all, there's nothing that always works. Yeah. But this one works most of the time. And when I say most, it, it went, the, we backtracked this one, it went to 85%. Mm-hmm. And basically is is have 
enough money in very safe areas of investments for all your big purchases for the next five years. So you retire, say, at 60. Until you're 65, you know you're going to buy that Airstream Andy was just talking about. Yeah. Or you're going to get that renovation done. Or you're going to take that cruise to Alaska. Whatever those, those kind of the honeymoon stage of, of retirement, you've, there's usually a list. Mm-hmm. And you want to, you've got this money, and that money's going to be gone in the first five years. Why would you want to keep that in your investments? If the market goes down, you won't be able to do those things. Mm-hmm. So have that, have that money sitting on the side. Second, have another two years of your lifestyle sing, sitting in a similar account. And this is simply your recession-proof money. So if the market drops 20%, you stop taking it out of your investment portfolio and start drawing it out of your, your two-year stash. Right. And therefore, it'll allow the market to recover, and then you can start drawing it out of your longer-term investments. And then eventually, you can replace that stash again, that two-year insurance policy, mm-hmm. because now the market's done well and you've recovered. The rest of it, 100% of it, goes into a diversified portfolio in what we were just talking about earlier, aggressive investments. Now, I hate to call it invest- aggressive because really, it, they're not aggressive because they've been proven to do the best over longer periods of time. In fact, that portfolio I talked about a couple segments ago never had a negative 10-year term. The U.S. had by itself, um, but having a diversified portfolio between U.S., emerging markets, international, Canada, has never had a, a negative 10-year uh, year period of time. So, therefore, by having that, that's the best hedge against inflation, longevity risk, all those other mm-hmm. things. And so, you can actually, on top of this, increase your payout. So, let's say you say, I'm picking a 4% drop dr- withdrawal out of my money. I've got this uh, money on the side in case of recession. I got my five-year project money, and I'm going to increase my payout by 3% every year or inflation. And you will be fine 85% of the time. And this here, and there's nothing perfect about this. There's no, like, and there's this golden, everybody's looking for that brass ring they can grab and say, this is the one that works. This is a great way to do it. You've reduced your risk, the, the longevity risk, by having equities. You've reduced your short-term risk. And I know Andy has talked about buckets, having the short-term. Yeah, and I think that really the key thing when you think of the silos, and I and, and often, too, we want to talk about where should the money come from in each of those buckets, mm-hmm. right? And if, you're, um, if you've got registered money, you've got non-registered money, and you've got TFSA money, where should you park those various buckets? And so the short-term one uh, is definitely, you know, kind of that, uh, it's going to be a safe bucket. It could be easily into um, a money market fund or a conservative portfolio, provides that level of stability. The long-term bucket, which I like to think of as the TFSA bucket, that's where you could be aggressive and let that and use what Don is talking about, the aggressive portfolio. And then your registered money, your RIFs, et cetera, would probably somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. a bit of a balance in terms of the overall mix. And again, yeah. it comes back to that diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. But you need to, you don't go all, either end of those spectrums is risky. Mm-hmm. If you go too safe, yeah. it's risky. You're going to know exactly you're gonna, when you're going to run out of money. And that's the risk part. People think, okay, I feel good, it's safe. It's actually guaranteed it won't work. Yeah. Then on the other hand, if you go all aggressive, yeah, well, now you're using that sequence of return risk. In case there is a recession early in your retirement, it could affect your whole time, your whole retirement. So we, when you look at real-life scenarios, 
it makes a big difference. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, I know Vanguard was always there. They've always been one of index funds. And saying, okay, index funds are the way to go. You don't have a planner. It's not worth the fees. Well, it's funny. They got into, th- into, into using advisors three years ago. And funny enough, they found out that a good advisor is worth 3% a year in hmm. terms of their return. And this is a no-load provider that is famous, ignored Low cost, low cost uh, ETF index funds. And now they're realizing, wow, human behavior, without having the advisor there, they're going to mess this up. It doesn't matter if they're low cost. So not to say this is the end of the all, but have an advisor that will go through this with you. And sometimes this is where you need a pro. You need a pro to give you a retirement paycheck that will basically bulletproof it bulletproof everything Mm. bulletproof that withdrawal rate we are planning your financial future andy lister and don fox have been here from investors group financial services inc you can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 they will return your call and check out the website at andyanddon.com that's andyanddon.com you can listen to old shows and ask a question a question via the listener inquiry button thank you gentlemen we'll see you thanks scott thanks scott take care